Good morning. Last night I was uh, driving home uh, from Groton, and my wife uh, was talking about what she'd been learning in First John, the little godly woman that she is. And so um, we were discussing about um, how I believe in the, in the first couple of verses of First John it says, uh, "Him who we have handled, whom we've touched, who we've seen." And how can uh, it must have been frustrating the palm, the traditional kind of like palm. Uh, Sunday message. Um, so if you grew up with that tradition, I'm sorry we got no palms to lay down or to hand out to Sunday school kids. But uh, I, I've been uh, looking at it again, and uh, Lord willing, that's what we're going to do today. And so the reason I say all that is I'm always kind of looking at myself in the uh, story and going, man, who would I have been? Um, and, and I think I would have been one that uh, lined up with the Pharisees and religious leaders. I'm not trying how did religion reject a king? Let's read in Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to the foal of the donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought their clothes on them and set them on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When we had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. <laughs> then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. doves. And he said to them, It is written, A house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Let's look to the Lord. Lord, thank you so much for uh, being the true king, the one who is sovereign over all. Uh, truly, again, you have been king. You have no beginning, so I don't even know how to describe it. You have always been king. And Lord, you have uh, established a people for yourselves. You will set up a kingdom again uh, here on earth and a kingdom forever. Your words and prophecy will come true, spoken of old. And uh, we just want to acknowledge you as king of kings and lord of lords this morning. You are the great I am. Thank you that, uh, at least for a little bit there, there was people willing to say Hosanna to the Son of David, even if their intentions were wrong. Thank you one day that you work everything out, that our intentions won't be wrong, that our praise and our worship will be perfect to you, and that we will be able to watch you on the throne and say we would gladly give all to our King. Thank you so much for the way you have created this story. In your name, amen. 
the king has arrived. We know that, I would think we know, uh, where they say Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're actually quoting a psalm. Psalm 118. Hosanna means save. Save us to the side from old. You're the one that's going to save us and set up a kingdom. Get Israel out of oppression. And you are going to fulfill all that prophecy. And maybe we'll go back to being a great nation in the world. Ruling. And everyone else will be under us. Instead of us being under Roman oppression. The people are excited. That's exactly what they're doing. This is kind of an incoronation. They are about to make him king. And one week later they reject him. Always remember that real people rejected a literal king on earth. I know those things are interesting and and the theology is deep. I just want to keep it simple. But there was uh, an ability, maybe I would say, uh, I don't even know if that's the right word, just for a little bit, and then I'm going to talk mostly about the religious leaders and their reaction towards his. Matthew is proclaiming Jesus is king. The book of Matthew shows Jesus as king. Remember, each gospel does different things. Matthew is all about showing his kingship. In fact, one guy said it like this. Um, in the beginning, Matthew 1.1, it says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There's that phrase again, son of David. It is vital to note a key to the argument of the book is found in this opening statement. It is contained in the order of the words. The Messiah is first son of David, and then he is son of Abraham. First he is sovereign, then he is savior. This book starts with addressing him as a king, and it ends with Pilate saying, are you a king? Are you a king? Throughout the whole book, He talks about the kingdom. Not that he doesn't in other Gospels, but this book of Matthew is Jesus Christ as king. And for him being king. Let me read it to you. I got this. I don't remember who. (laughs) Three miracles are recorded consecutively in Matthew 8, 23 through 9, verse 8. The triplet of miracles were recorded to give a foreview of the conditions of the king's kingdom. Jesus calmed the raging sea, showing he had control over the elements. This foreshadowed one of harmony in nature. That's Joel 3 and Isaiah 55. He cast out the demons from two men into swine, conveying he had power over Satan and his spiritual kingdom. That's Daniel chapter 8 and Zechariah 3, prophesied of the coming king who would thwart the powers of darkness. Jesus healed the paralytic man and forgave his sins, amplifying his ability to fulfill Verses such as Isaiah 60, verses 20 through 21. These miracles prove Jesus was able to bring the promised blessing of the kingdom to Israel. And so here he's about to, uh, in some ways, be named king. There's palm branches here in Matthew chapter 21. And what's the first thing he wants to do? You know, there was a lot of things he could have done. Maybe he could have had a meeting and built up an army for himself. They're about to take the world by force. He could have started laying out his economic strategy. Our leaders sometimes do that right away, correct? How are we going to fix our money problems? He could have gone on and on and on. I think it's interesting to me that the next thing he does is go to the temple. 
He wants to go to the temple. Fix the religious system. And look what happens here at the temple in verse 14 and 15. He kicks people out. And then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did and the children crying out in the temple. You know how opposite this was? I mean, the temple with all the beautiful uh, God-given furniture and all that. And they'd, they'd mess that up. And he, he's, he's taking out all of those and he's... Kids, remember again in the Gospels where he was—he was—he kind of gave a completely brand new idea. Kids were not supposed to be anywhere near leaders; they were just kids. The temple is filled with little kids singing Hosanna. It is—we know that God came with a kingdom that was completely opposite of what they thought. And sometimes, if not all the time, I have to remind myself that our faith. Is typically opposite of what we think. It hasn't changed much. There's so many things that we want to establish in our faith. I think they're questioning him because his kingdom is going to be opposite of their religious system in so many ways. And so I'm going to go around through Matthew a little bit. I'm going to give us three things that they challenged the Lord on and him presenting the way his kingdom would work. If you keep reading, let's start uh, going in verse 23 of this chapter, Matthew 21. They wanted to challenge his authority. It says, Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you? You notice already they're kind of establishing systems, right? What system is giving you the authority? And then who from the system? They're talking to God. He has done so many miracles that has proved that He is the Son of Man, that He is truly the King. He has done so much. Listen to His response, which is great. Jesus asked them a question instead of just telling them. Look how they are kind of caught in verse 25. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. Now, I would like to uh, have some glorified imagination. I can't tell their thoughts, but I would say that they thought it was from men. Just from knowing what I know about the religious leaders, I'm sure they would say that John the Baptist, if it was from the Lord, they have problems they got to address. Just like they said, if they admit that it's from heaven, now they have accountability. They have to admit, oh my goodness, God sent a prophet, John, to try to tell us to repent, and we didn't listen to it. But if we say John is just getting this authority from some system or some other kind of man, the crowd's going to go crazy. And you know what? We don't really want that either. Are they really concerned about the authority or are they just kind of worried about saving themselves? 
we would understand, right, that the right view of authority is recognizing that God is authoritative and all authority springs from Him. Religion makes man the authority based on merit. Jesus came, and yes, He had merit. Absolutely. He was the Son of God. He did all these things. He's saying, listen, all authority comes from me, and yet we know that Jesus Christ said, I don't do anything outside of what the Father tells me to do. Completely opposite of the way the religious system was working. It was an oppressive man the authority, and that authority comes based on merit. Based on merit. We still do that today, correct? In a lot of different ways. Let's just randomly pick straws. We have huge debates on merit. On merit. Religion can... Look what it said here. He clears the temple. Easy. He just healed blind and lame people. He healed them. I don't know how many people that is, but guys, blind people seeing. That should change our life. I mean, if we saw a blind person and Jesus healed them, that should change your life. Crippled people now walking around. Kids singing out. And it makes them mad. The fact that they're calling him the son of David. This is the real king. Makes them Makes them mad. Indignant would be something like this. They're mad because something's not fair. What, what are they complaining about? It's not fair that the Pharisees aren't getting their credit. It's not fair that he gets to go into the temple and shake things up, even though he's the one that dwelt there. It's not fair. And it gets them mad. The fix and establish his kingdom. And religion is saying, not fair. Not fair. We are people that love to think that our submission to authority is based on that person's merit. And if they're not merit, if they don't have what we think deems them, we don't have to submit. I want you to remember when we did submit to one another as one of the one another's. That message should have beat you up. I say that in the nicest way. To you because of your actions. That's what religion does. And here they've totally missed it. I mean, they're so far gone into their religion that they have missed that someone just healed people and let the blind see. And kids recognize it. When you are acting with religion, you tend to think authority is not from God, but given by others. Because then there's a whole big discussion whether or not you have to submit to it or not. As soon as you think authority comes from anywhere but God, now you have kind of a a little hold, saying, yeah, but they didn't earn it yet. When you acknowledge that all authority is from God, you have nothing to say except I should submit. There was a story of a guy named Christian Herter. Maybe some of you knew him. He was the governor of Massachusetts. He was running hard for a second term in office. 
One day after a busy morning chasing votes and no lunch, he arrived at a church barbecue. It was late afternoon and Harder was famished. As he moved down the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman serving chicken. She put a piece of chicken on his plate and turned to the next person in line. Excuse me, he said. Do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, she said. I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starved, he said. Sorry, the woman said. Only one to a customer. Even though he was a modest and usually unassuming man, he decided that was the time to throw a little weight around. Do you know who I am, he said. I'm the governor of this state. The woman said, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along. <laughs> it's interesting how we see authority. And again, I, if I was there that day, I, w- I just, uh, I hope I would be the guy I could see that someone just, but this is supposed to be about the chief priests and leaders. Because <laughs> I think we have those tendencies. I think we have those tendencies. He was bringing a kingdom that said servant leadership is the model. And they couldn't handle that at all. You bring in a kingdom that says servant leadership is the model. Their religious leaders are rejecting him because if they accept him, they lose power. What about you? I mean, I know it's a general statement. But is there things where you don't want to be king in your life because you know you lose power if you do? I have stuff like that in my own life. Would you rather keep it our faith about works? So that you can prove yourself better than others. Are you simply okay with others having authority over you? Are you okay when the scales aren't balanced? And you serve God for so many Jesus is bringing a completely different kingdom. One of service. They didn't want it. Fear of losing their power. They also challenged him on his works. Turn to Matthew chapter 12, please. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 9. This actual chapter, by the way, for those of you who really like to be studious, this is the uh, chapter in the book of Matthew where they co- the religious leaders are going to reject him as king. This is the kind of the pinnacle chapter. Uh, we'll get to it in a little bit. But in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into the pit on a Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much value, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and he was restored as whole as the other. And the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them 
all. They challenged him on his works. They challenged him on his works. How in the world can you do these good things? We have a system in place. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And you know what? This goes back to the authority issue. We're the ones that determine whether or not you're working or not on the Sabbath. Who are you? I love in some other portions, again, right before this, actually in verse 8, he makes a bold statement, Jesus. He says, For the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay? says something very clear to these guys saying, listen to me, you think this rule was for God? The rule is for you. The Sabbath was for you, not for God. You have to understand where the law is coming from. And again, you really think God is displeased with someone getting healed? You're not looking. This was all about their view of his works going, wait a minute. I don't know if we like your works. It makes us look bad. Because you know what? We kind of like to oppress the people, by the way. We kind of like the way the system is going. And by the way, we like status. And these people that are shriveled up and crippled and, and blind, they're not thought of as too highly in our society. You're making us look bad. And so, you need to be careful, Jesus, because we don't want to lose our status. Let's keep going in the chapter, in verse 22. Then one who was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute... And he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be, there's the phrase again, the son of David. This is the king. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons, except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. This is the pinnacle part of the portion. Officially rejected him as king. This goes into the unpartable sin. I'm going to throw that out as a teaser because I'm not going to really explain it that much. But I'm going to tell you this. What they did was they gave a wondrous, miraculous thing that should have given God complete honor and glory and they credited it to Satan. They credited it to Satan. A work was done in the name of the Lord by God himself releasing demons and healing was happening, and they're sitting there saying, you are doing the work of Satan. That's where religion got him, by the way. That's where religion got him. There's absolutely no relationship there whatsoever with God. If you had any kind of relationship with God, you cannot sit there, see miracles, say someone claiming to be God, and then say, this must be from Satan. You have absolutely no relationship, in my estimation. None. Someone who is religious can actually become jealous of God doing a work in others instead of rejoicing. In John 12, chapter 19, it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. I think we read it today. Another part of the story of him coming in 
on a donkey saying, listen, the whole world's going after him. What is the problem with that? If you want a leader, let this guy lead. He's healing people. He's actually a people's person. He's humble and gentle. The world's going after him and they're complaining about it. He also wanted to challenge who they were hanging out with or who he was hanging out with. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. We'll read in verse 9. Matthew, sitting at the tax office, he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I did not... Matthew's writing about himself. He's a tax collector. Some people would say lower than a prostitute in those times on a social scale. And now Jesus is really shaking things up. The fact that Matthew was a little evangelist he met Jesus, and what was the next thing he did? Had Jesus over and all his friends so they could meet him. Pretty interesting. The religious leaders see a bunch of delinquent people, and yet it would appear like these delinquent people are listening to someone they've heard speak authoritatively. Wow, maybe these guys can fix their lives if they listen to Jesus. But all they want to do this question, why in the world are you seen with those people? Because that doesn't fit their religious system. Go back to re- Matthew chapter 21. He wants to keep addressing them and he wants to tell them a story. Jesus. A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. I go. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God. Me off the page. You know those verses that you read and go, Ooh. Like that scene in Lion King, never Mufasa. Ooh, say it again. We'll say it again. We're in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 21. Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Wow. So they don't like this new king hanging out with such lowly people. And he's saying, listen, John preached something about repenting, and these people repented. These people repented, and you refused. 
Look what it says. It says, not only did you believe, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent. So you had a problem with the people? Okay, but then you saw them repenting, and lives changed, and that still wouldn't motivate you. You saw delinquents down on the social scale changing and repenting to God, and that did nothing for you. Nothing. That's not a relationship with the king. That's a religion. That's a religion. It stopped you from even noticing that lives were getting changed. Do you ever think we as believers actually care about status? Oh, we've heard that we're just sinners saved by grace, etc. But if we look at our lifestyles, do we actually care about status? I don't know how this works. I don't know how it works. But are we able to associate ourselves with the lowly and not feel like we're losing status? I was talking to uh, Lidovich there. Again, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to practically apply it yet. You can pray for me on it, whatever. I just, sometimes we're told so many times, don't hang out with non-Christians because they'll bring you down, that we are not talking to them at all. That's why people aren't getting saved. The gospel's not going out. I mean, you have some uh, interaction. I mean, you might get snippets here and there. If you don't uh, go to work for whatever reason, I mean, when are we purposely trying to establish a relationship with non-Christians so that we can share the gospel with them? Is it a status thing? Is there somewhere deep down that we have blanketed with, well, we just don't want to struggle spiritually and they might bring us down? Is that a cop-out? Is that a cop-out? And we just don't like the idea of having someone over our house that might have done drugs before. Or the girl that comes over and everything's hanging out because she don't know better. And we sit there and go, I can't have that girl in my house. Look at the way she's dressed. Tax collectors and prostitutes got it. And the religious leaders didn't. Are we really that afraid to hang out with non-Christians? I don't know, guys. I really don't. I just know that they need the gospel. And I don't want a status symbol that somehow, even though I know, I'm dirty by being next to them. I've got to be careful. Everyone's got to pray about it. Everyone's got to make their own decisions. Is it fair to say that the religious leaders didn't want to lose their status to then that eventually led to them killing him? They would not let go of their status among the people. Look in John chapter 12.
John chapter 12, in verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. There are those who actually believe the Lord, and yet cannot give up their status of praise from other people instead of praise from God, so they will not confess him. Who are we in the story? Who are we? There are those who believe, and because of status, wanting the praise of men instead of the praise of God, don't want to kind of shake the boat a little bit, don't confess that they believe. A relationship with the Lord and His kingdom means losing your status. Remember what Paul said? He said, I count all things lost. And he gave a lot of religious status behind those verses. He said, I count it all lost except to know him crucified and the power of his resurrection. I count it all lost. They wanted to make him king. It says in Matthew 27, later on, are swayed by these leaders to say, crucify him. In some ways, it would seem, just from a man's perspective, the religious system won. It didn't. God was glorified, and we're saved through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. But if you're sitting here today and you're still religious, I got to tell you, it don't work. Only someone who actually puts their faith and trust in who He is and what He done. It is a very simple message. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. There's no attachments there. There's no religious attachments. It's actually just a trust. It's believing what he's done for you. You know, there's always a few remnants left. They say is a theme in Scripture. Is he king of our lives today or do we let religion kind of creep in? I want to end on a positive note. There were some that made him king. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Named Jason. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. Saying there is a Jesus. Not everyone got involved in the system. There were some actually you read about in the early church. I just think it's so great that they use the word king. It must have been on their lips because that's what their rep was. We're not going to do what Caesar tells us to do, we're going to do what King Jesus tells us to do. I want to encourage us today as we think about this whole week, and I know it's a great week, we got Easter coming, and it's just so easy to let religion come in. And Lord of Lords, that the Son of Man is the Son of God, He flipped the system. It was upside down compared to what faith. I need constant reminders, daily reminders that says His ways are different than my ways. 
happen. Because if when I don't refresh it in the Word, it constantly goes to religion instead of a relationship. I pray that today, again, we will be those who pursue the Lord out of love and a relationship with Him, saying, King, what do you want me to do? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, thank you that you rule and administer justice, that you are loving, slow to anger, abundant in mercy. You have proven yourself over and over again in so many different ways. You have proven who you are by creating the world. You've proven by your love, by coming down as a man. You've proven your holiness by not sinning. You have proven so much. And yet, Lord, we are still those who ask you to sometimes prove yourself a little more. Forgive us. Lord, we need to know you personally. Help us not to make things a system. In your name, amen.